today we're going to be talking about the supreme value of God's kingdom. And it's interesting because this morning, I, I think I said to, said to my wife last night, just before I got into bed, um, that I feel like this message is um, actually more for me than it is for anybody else. And it's funny because I've heard different preachers over the years say that, and, it's, and whenever I've heard them say that, I thought... That's a bit, sounds like a, that's a bit selfish. <laughs> that's a bit selfish of you. But actually, obviously, as the one sharing a message, you should be moved first by it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I hope that the Lord, and I trust that the Lord will um, provide encouragement and blessing for you guys also. But know that first and foremost, I know the Lord is really wanting to encourage me uh, with this word. And so, please um, join me. Turn to uh, Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. I think we've Matthew 13, 44 to 46, and I'll read. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for life. Lord, I thank you so much for the reminder this morning that you have set your king on Zion, in Zion, and that he has all authority and that he reigns. Thank you for that reminder this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, we're so aware that we can be so dull uh, of hearing. Lord, we have ears that we can hear and eyes that we can see. Lord, but would you open the eyes of our heart that we would see you in all your glory this morning. Lord, if you don't do that by your spirit this morning, and then these are just going to be words. Lord, would you help me to speak? Lord, would you help me to be clear and to be faithful to you and to your word? Lord, would you um, allow all that I say that is just the, 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 the icing, as it were, Lord, the stuff that's just, just me, Lord, to fall to one side, Lord. But what you have to say, Lord, I pray would remain with us. Lord, I pray that we would receive uh, the truth of your word today. And Lord, that we would be changed as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, now, some time ago, probably about four years ago, four or five years ago, I watched a documentary. Um, not, yeah, not, not the kind of documentary that I would normally watch, but I kind of was drawn into You know when you start watching, you flick over, turn something on, and you think, oh, initially you think it looks boring, but then something happens and it kind of draws you in before you know you've been watching it for an hour. That can happen with EastEnders, isn't it? I don't watch that anymore, but that's what used to happen, definitely for me. Anyway, I was watching this documentary um, called Man on Wire. And it's about a man called Philip Petit. We've got a picture. We've got a picture of him. This is Philip Petit. He's a tightrope walker. And you, some of you may have seen um, the film that's out recently. I think it's called The Walk. It's based on this man's life. And uh, anyway, well, before this, obviously before the film came out, I was watching this documentary, and it had original footage of this man. He was like, as he is there, but, but in a meadow, and they were kind of somebody was following following his life, and he was like 15 feet high walking this tightrope. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. This guy has you know, got no net. He's 15 feet in there. This is wonderful. Then he ups the levels. He goes to, I don't know if you know, that's Notre Dame in, in Paris. And that is him, that figure there is him between the two towers, between these, these, these towers here at Notre Dame, walking on a tightrope without a net. That's like 226 feet high in the air. No, no small, small feet. Um, quite an ama amazing thing. So Philippe's next party trick was to go to Sydney. And he, he did the same across the Sydney. I think that is, can you see that black? Yeah, <laughs> that's him walking across between, between these, because each time he's kind of up in the levels now, and this guy's 
he's insane, clearly, but he, he obviously loved, loves what he, what he does. Now, one day, sitting in a dentist's waiting room, reading a magazine, when he comes across the artist's impression of two towers, of two towers that not, not yet been built, which would later go on to be known as the Twin Towers. And he said, this is where his obsession began. Guy's not, not, not quite with it. He drew a line between the two towers, ripped out the page and left the dentist. And from that day on, he could think about nothing else but actually putting a wire between these two towers. And there he is, I'm walking across it. 110 floors in the air, 1,368 feet high. I think it was 140 feet wide between the two towers. He was absolutely obsessed with this dream of his. All of his time, his energy and money were focused on fulfilling this dream of walking between the two towers. Philippe managed to convince a small group of people to help him, including a guy who worked for a company that occupied the highest floors at the time. Remember, they're still being built, just the last little bits of the tower being built. So he gets, he gets speaking to this guy, and he, you know, this guy manages to give him access. So I'm watching the film, obviously, or the documentary, and I'm thinking, on one hand, this is, is, is this guy really going to do it? This is what was drawing me in, because I'm thinking, this can't be... Obviously, it's before the film, before I knew he actually did it. I'm thinking, no, there's no way this is actually going to happen. This, this must be fake, I mean. But, but if it is going to happen, how is he going to get the wires between the two buildings, in my mind, is what I'm thinking. Well, well one of the guys that he had with him, you know, two of them went up on one tower, two, him and another guy went up on another tower. One of the guys fancied himself as a bit of a Lego lass with a, uh, a bow and arrow, and he literally fired a wire, fishing wire, for, fi from one tower to the other, and then, then they slowly pulled across the rest of the wire. I mean, it sounds like, but it, it really happened. So by now it's the middle of the night, and he, he feels down, he takes his clothes off so he can feel the fishing wire, which apparently was just teetering on the edge of the building. He's there waiting in the dark. Long story slightly shorter, they managed to get the wire in place and after hours and hours of hard work. Then Philippe is moments away from fulfilling his dream that he sacrificed everything for. And he steps out for the first time onto the wire, 1,300 feet high, with a smile on his face. There's video footage of it, with a smile on his face. And he proceeds to walk back and forth across the wire. I mean, it's one thing just to put your toe out on it, let alone... He, he then steps out and walks out into the middle of it, back and forth for 45 minutes he's out there. Kneels down, lies down at one point. There's pictures of him, of him lying down on the wire. And apparently the film, he's been involved in the, uh, the making of the film to make sure that it kind of stayed true to, to what really happened. He's saying it, it really conjures up exactly his feelings and how he felt about it. He was out there risking everything to fulfill his dream. His life, his relationships, putting his loved ones through hell. For whatever reason, Philippe had decided that the fulfillment of this dream was of more value than even his own life and all that was connected to it. Why have I told you this story? Well, I am Philippe Petit. No, I'm not Philippe Petit. <laughs> uh, but it has similarities to the two very short stories that we read from Matthew 13. And there's also a vast difference. So there's similarities, but there's also a vast difference. That's why I've shared it with you. And if we can grasp the simple but profound reality that Jesus is trying to teach us here, then it can literally be life-changing. So the Old Testament prophesied over 700 years before the birth of Jesus about a Messiah who would come and perform many miracles and in doing so bring eternal and everlasting salvation by bringing the, the kingdom of heaven. Matthew portrays Jesus as this Messiah, the king, the chosen one, one chosen by God, God's chosen king 
And this gospel says to the Jews and all who will listen, search no more. Here he is. Here is the Messiah that God has sent, the one that's been prophesied about. We, we don't, no longer need to search. Here he is, Jesus. This man is the one, the God-man. He is the Messiah. Now, the Jews obviously knew their scriptures, didn't they? Back to front, we're, we're aware of that. And they were supposed to put the pieces of the puzzle together and work out that you know, that this was God's uh, chosen king. But because of pride and arrogance, they refused to see it. And like I mentioned earlier, you can, we've got eyes and we can see, but sometimes the truth is right in front of us and yet we can't see it. We need, the reality is we need God to open our eyes that we would see. Have you looked at evidence for Christ and yet you still don't see? I pray the Lord would open your eyes. So he came from the kingly line of David. This is the evidence now. He said and did things that only Emmanuel, God with us, could do. He healed the sick. He walked on water. He raised the dead. Nobody else could do these things. Only God could do this. Matthew also teaches that Jesus came to save Gentiles as well. That is, the gospel goes out to all people. And Jesus, in chapter 28, commands all of his disciples to make disciples of all nations, telling them that they too can be part of the kingdom of heaven. Remember that there's only, ultimately, one race. That's the human race. And you look back in biblical times, there are only two people groups, and they were Jews. You're either a Jew or you're everyone else. You're a Gentile. Jew or Gentile. And Jesus, what he has done is brought these two together. I've been thinking quite a lot lately about racism and um, remembering kind of growing up watching Roots. If you, you know, most people don't know Roots. The, the story of uh, Kunta Kintani's family being taken from Africa, brought to America uh, as slaves. And so seeing that on the television and being enraged by it, even as a young, young boy, but then experiencing um, racism myself, um, not black, not white, mixed race. Mixed race wasn't even a term when I was growing up. I didn't, never heard that term. You, you're either black, you're white, or you're half-caste. So I was half-caste. Um, we had kind of mud, feces thrown at us. My mum said, you know, my mum was called all kinds of names. Um, we, we, we experienced a lot of racism growing up. So obviously, as I've grown up and seen England become much more multicultural and seen black and white together and people from different nations together, that's been really encouraging, but very discouraging now when I look, at, look in the States. And I think, actually, what, what, when, when are we ever going to see the end of racism? What's, what is the solution? Lots of different answers out there. But we need to understand, I'm sure we do, but I hope you know, I'm going to remind us that there's only one cure for racism, and that's the gospel. The gospel is the only cure for racism. And that doesn't mean that we need not be enraged by injustice, or even go out on marches and, and, and stand up for, for those who are being abused. Yes, we do those things, but always with the understanding, the overarching, that the real problem is not social. The real problem is not education. The real problem is a spiritual one. It is, why, why are people racist? Well, because of sin. We're sinners. And therefore, the solution can only be solved not by man, about God. It's a supernatural solution. And the beautiful thing is that it's, it's through the gospel that this reconciliation takes place. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 11 to 16. Amazing. This is a slight, slight, slight detour from, from the main point, but it's, it, it's, it's important. So therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, listen to the language, separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Remember, there's only Jew, there's Jew and Gentile, Jews and everyone else. Having no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What else can do this? What else can bring this, can bring this reconciliation? Nothing but the blood of Christ, which provides forgiveness of sins, doesn't it? So by, by uh, where are we? Uh, blah, blah. For he himself, verse 14, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There was hostility there between Jew and Gentile, between man. We go back to the garden, we see why that is. That hostility now, rebellion against God, but also hostility towards one another. By abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We can see here that at the heart of the gospel is reconciliation. And part of that reconciliation is racial reconciliation, where people from different nations are brought together. The gospel is the only answer. And the reason I say that is because it can be easy to forget that in the heat of the, 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 watching the videos and having the discussions, we can easily forget that actually the solution is the gospel. And as Christians, we are now one in Christ. And our ethnic and cultural differences are no longer, should no longer, be a barrier. You've heard probably of the, I always say it wrong, homogenous unit principle. Homogenous meaning of the same kind, which was brought about, I think, in the, in the 20th century. Some brothers, I think with all, with all good intentions, were like, okay, look, well, what do people naturally like to do? Just think about, we want to we plant churches, what, what are people naturally? Well, people naturally like to be in churches where everyone is kind of like them. And so, from that now, what do you? What do you? What do we? This is part of the reason why you, you have black churches, white churches, churches where people are. You look around, and we're all kind of the same. And it's a very effective system. But the problem is, you look at Revelation five, and you see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation standing before the throne. This is God's desire, that there would be this reconciliation. That actually, we look, at, we, look, we look in church, and we shouldn't see that everyone's just like us. Everyone likes the same music as me. Uh, this is how I want it. I want everyone to like the same kind of praise music. I want the same length of sermons that I like. I don't want to, you know, I want to look around and feel like, yeah, I belong here because of the kind of people that are here. And yet, at the same time, it's a beautiful thing to go into a church and you see a, a, a ethnic diversity, isn't it? But that, let's not think, that because you see that, that, that then there is a, there's a church where that, that is practicing that reconciliation that is already there. Because the danger is this homogenous unit principle is in really in the heart of all of us, which will be why, week in, week out, it's quite likely that if you're Ghanaian, you're in the Ghanaian section. There's not a particular Ghanaian section, or if you're white, maybe you... And it's not, not within every, every church. But we naturally, so we have to actually work at this reconciliation. Not just look around and go, oh yeah, there's a, there's a mix of different people here, so we're, we're a diverse church and we're, we're all reconciled. Well, actually, they also say that I think if you're in the majority, the racial majority, then you need to work harder because you've got blind spots. So you don't see actually how the way that you, we do things can actually ostracize and make people feel like they're not really part of the family. So we need to work harder. I mean, it might be simply like, actually, I'm going to sit over there this week. 
I'm going to sit next to a different brother this week. I'm going to sit not just for the sake of sitting there, but actually to begin to work at this, work out, I should, should I say, this reconciliation that, that Christ has, has gone to such lengths to provide for us. We've got to work at it, is what I'm saying. It's not a, but it's not, a, it's not a, an optional extra. So there's, you know, I'm reconciled to people of all nations as, you know, if I choose to be, but actually it's an essential. Anyway, back to um, our verses. So in chapter 13, Jesus tells a series of parables to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. You've got the two parables that we're looking at, a sandwich between two other parables where Jesus taught that in the world there are those in, the, in God's kingdom and also those in Satan's kingdom. These two groups live side by side for now in the same world, but God's judgment is coming on the world and he's going to separate members of his kingdom from members of Satan's kingdom. So these two parables we're focusing on belong together because they're communicating really the same point. And this is the main, main and only point, really, that I'm making today, that these, this text is making. And that is that the kingdom of God is of supreme value. And therefore, being a member of that kingdom is worth every and any sacrifice. The kingdom of God is of supreme value Therefore, being a member of that kingdom is worth any sacrifice. Like I said to you, this message, I need to hear this because I've forgotten this. In our text, picture a farmer plowing a field. It doesn't belong to him. When all of a sudden, clunk, a bit like when you're mowing the lawn and you realize you've hit something hard. Is it a rock or have you gone over the cord or is it your toe been taken off? You're not sure. But then he looks down, he looks down and, and, and hallelujah. This is a box. Not just a box, but a box with treasure in it. Looks around to see if anybody can see. Covers it back up. Marks the spot. Goes back home. Gets everything. The ISA accounts, iPad, car, keys, not the wife, but everything else. Everything, everything of financial value. Bring, brings his family and says, look, we're going to sell this. And joyfully skips down to sell it in order that he can buy this field with joy. And then the, in the next parable, there's a businessman a merchant, a trader, whose job it is to find things of value. In search for the pearls, he finds the pearl of all pearls. And so he realizes the value of this pearl. That's the key. He realizes the value of the pearl, and therefore, he sells everything. What else would he do? The point is, both men realize the immense and supreme value of the prize and determine that any sacrifice is worth it. Have we realized, have we come to the point where we realize that following Jesus... Being part of God's kingdom is of supreme value over and above everything and anyone else. Therefore, it's, it's worthy of me abandoning whatever it, else, whatever it would be that along this journey the Lord would have me abandon. Or many times just being prepared to do that, holding what we, whatever we have with, with open hands as it were. As we talked about before, one way to think about kingdom is God's people and in God's place under God's rule. We think about God's Kingdom, it has no boundaries. Wherever you've got God's people under God's rule, there is God's kingdom. You think about the church. We know it's not a, a building, it's the, it's the people of God. Obviously, if there's a kingdom, then there's a king. And those who are part of the kingdom follow the king. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And as the creator and owner, he has all rights. Are you somebody who struggles with submission? We're honest, we all do, don't we, to some, some degree. 
maybe you've been taken advantage of by, I don't know, someone in authority over you, a pastor, a teacher, or a, f- a family member, a parent, someone who's had that authority over you and they've abused it maybe. And so therefore that's just gone on to compound your struggle to submit. But we need to remember Jesus is not like anybody else, is he? He's not like another leader. He's not like a, a boss. He's not like a pastor. He's not like a, a, a dictator. He has set the example for us of submission even, isn't he? He's, he's equal to God the Father, and yet he submits to the Father. Sets the ultimate example in doing that. Jesus isn't like other kings who bark orders to fulfill their own desires. He loves us more than even we love ourselves. And that this is what I've been needing to be reminded of lately, that he loves me even more than I love myself. So therefore, he knows what is best for me. Will you recognize that his will and his way is of supreme value? The alternative is that we live with our limited power and ability, and we'll be the masters of our own lives. And what a disaster that will be. I'm just just coming back from, from one of these disasters in my own life where I veered off no, not, it's not, you know, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't, I did nothing, it's nothing of that nature. But I made a decision and basically did something in my own strength, which kind of led us as a family in a particular direction, led me in, into uh, doing a, a job, really, which as I look back now, um, it wasn't the Lord's will. And, and we've suffered as a family because of that. God in his grace and his mercy, because he's God and he's king. Just like um, you think of um, Jonah, He's, Jonah is the man, isn't it? Jonah is God's chosen man. He is the man. He's going to do what God wants him to do, and yet he's going in the other direction, ends up in the, in the sea, in, the, in the, the, the belly of a fish. But he gets to Nineveh. God gets us there, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And so I'm grateful for the Lord, for his grace and mercy, and getting, getting me back on track and helping me to see that actually, you know what? We can be in the kingdom, part of the kingdom, and yet still not be submitted to the king. In the, in, even in the most subtle of ways, you're reading, you're praying, you're going to church. But actually, slowly but surely, you are, you've got this desire that you are following after and you are trying to bring to pass. When John says in chapter 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, John's warning people that they need to stop living for themselves, stop being their own king, which will lead to destruction. Anyone can say amen to that? Before we came to Christ, what was our life like? No matter how, how much raving we did, how much fun it was, how much drugs we took. In reality, as you look back now, it was, a, it was a train wreck. Me being in control of my life is a train wreck. So we turn to this king now who actually brings life. And isn't it true that life with Jesus, through all the ups and downs and all the difficulty, is sweet. It is beautiful. There's nothing like it. It's not like the life we led before when we're in control. Why? Because he is the one who made us. He's God. He knows how we should live. He knows, he brings, and look at the, we're going to look at in a minute at some of the things that, 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 some of the benefits. We see that God's kingdom has got real value for this life. So it's not just far off, but actually for this life right here and now. And Jesus provides forgiveness of sins. The sad thing is, for so many of us, we've heard that so often, it's like, okay, whatever, it's, provides forgiveness of sin, that's, a, that's nice, that's lovely. But, but you, you think for a moment what it was like carrying the burden. Of, I mean, some of you may still be there. 
Some of you may, Jesus is not your Lord, you, you're, you're living your life and to the outward world you look, things look gravy, but actually in, inwardly when you lie in your bed at night, you're so aware of your sin, the stuff that you might not call it sin, but the things that you've done that you can't go back and undo, that you love to, and it is a burden weighing you down, which is meant to lead you to the cross where you say, I need, I need forgiveness. Forgiveness is no small thing. This is, brings, the, the, God's kingdom brings real value for us in this life, that I can be forgiven because of what he's done. When we acknowledge our sin to God and put our faith in Jesus to take our sin and God's punishment, which he takes, doesn't he? Then we're forgiven. And as believers in Christ, we stand before God without guilt and without shame. doesn't make sense. I can stand even here today with all the sin that I have committed and even the sin ahead that I will commit and yet still be righteous in God's sight because Jesus' righteousness, his right standing with God has been imputed to me. He's taken my sin and nailed it to the cross. So this, this is it's not, it's no small thing, is it? What is there? Can somebody put their hand up or shout out what is more important than this? Tell me something more important than you being forgiven for your sin. You can't. Why? Because what is it? What is it? What does it? One, we need God's forgiveness, but what does it then provide? It provides relationship with Him. God is eternal. Provides eternal life with Him. And let's not forget, there's people all around us who need forgiveness. They need to hear the gospel, don't they? They need to hear about this good news. And it's so easy for me to forget that. You know, I've been forgiven, it's great, it's nice. It's not that big a deal, but it's, you know, it's, it's nice to forget that actually people around me are going to hell without Christ. They need forgiveness. I offend my wife, as I probably often do, and I need her forgiveness. I need her to forgive me so that we can, things can be nice again. I mean, I need that. And we need that ultimately from God. We need his forgiveness. Thank God he provides it in Christ. God's kingdom also brings peace. Peace. Oh my goodness. If you're a parent, you'll say, yes, peace. I long for peace. I long for peace. Thank you, Lord, that you bring peace. Romans 5.1, I think we've got it there. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As members of the kingdom, we're no longer seen as God's enemies. That's huge. That is huge. We've all got enemies in this world, but one enemy you don't want to have is God because you can have the world at your back, and if you've got God as your enemy, you're in trouble. No matter how many nuclear weapons you've got or you know, who you've got backing you, you're in trouble. So to be at peace with God, that's a, a real tangible... We experience that as believers, don't we? Knowing that, actually, Lord, I can come to you. I can come boldly before your throne of grace as the scripture says. I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. I can come to you. I have peace with you. My sin has been dealt with. Thank you, Lord, for that peace. We've got full access to God in prayer because of this peace. That's another major thing, isn't it? We can, I was saying, I was, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're, you're trying to encourage somebody and you come away thinking, right, yeah, I really actually need to listen to that. I need to hear that. I was encouraging somebody with regards to prayer and basically saying that, you know, that we, we, we minimize the power of prayer and the access that we've got to God who can do anything. He owns everything. He has all power. There's nothing he can't do, nothing that we can't come to him with. And yet we so often try and do stuff in our own, own strength or we, do, we just fail to pray. Or when we do pray, we don't really trust him. 
What a privilege that we can come to him. We can bring our concerns, the concerns of the world to him. We can pray. That's no light thing. Let's not take that lightly. This is a, a, a great benefit. Jesus has promised to be with us eternally. That is a long time. Another benefit is that we have purpose. So we have his peace, but also we have purpose. If you show, can you show the picture? Of, this is my, one of my properties in um, Jim. Okay, you never know. It could be. It could be. All right. It's, in, it's one of my properties in a, in a, on an island called Fantasy Island. Um, but obviously, I mean, you can see the beautiful pool there, huge, you know, how many bedrooms has it got? Just in the back left corner, you can't see it there, but obviously the sea is behind this house, just to the right of the swimming pool. It looks like you've got a jacuzzi, you've got lounges all around. This was built f for a purpose, wasn't it? It was built to enjoy, you know, it was built to, to swim in the pool and to lounge around by the pool and to go in the jacuzzi and maybe have massages and what have you and sip tequila on the veranda and what have you. It was built for, yeah, I'm dreaming now, you, you know I need a holiday, innit? It was, built, it was built for a purpose. But can you imagine if, you, if I owned that, I said, yeah, I own that, and you said, okay, well, do you ever go there? No, no, I don't, I don't go there. So I, got, I just show people the picture. Oh, so, so other people go, no, no, no one else goes there. It's just, I just built it. Just. What a waste that would be. It would be a waste, wouldn't it? Because it was built for a purpose. And we too, when... Until we know what our purpose is, until we come to Christ, until we come to God and, and realize our, what is our purpose, our lives are wasted. All our efforts, all that we're doing, maybe good stuff, but ultimately it's a waste because we were designed for a purpose. And that purpose, as we know, is to glorify God, isn't it? And to enjoy Him forever. Not just when we get there, but now we get to enjoy Him as we've been looking at in Ecclesiastes. To glorify Him, to live for Him, to reverence Him to tell others about him, to wake up and be glad and uh, appreciate the fact that, wow, Lord, I've got another day of life, which I, you know, none, of, none of us are guaranteed. Lord, that the sun is shining, or even that it's raining today. Now, somebody needed it to rain today. Thank you, Lord, for that. That we have others that we can converse with, people that we can rely on, people that we can trust, people that we can pray with, children that we can look on and just melt and just be blown away by this amazing little creation, this miracle of life. All because of God's goodness to us. Another huge benefit is the power, so, the power that we now have to overcome sin. Every single one of us at one time or another, some of us, some of us are still there maybe, where a picture a cell, with no way out, you're in that cell chained to the wall. That's sin. You're, you're, you're a slave of sin. Jesus comes in, boots the door off, because he can do that. Or just speaks and it, it moves. He doesn't even have to boot you off. Takes off the, the, the shackles and walks out. We have a choice now, don't we? We, can, we, we were able to walk out. Before, we couldn't. The, 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 we were chained to the wall. We had no choice. We we're, we're sinful by nature. We have no power over this force, as it were. But now we're free. We have the power to overcome sin. And hopefully, as believers, we're experiencing that power at work, aren't we? Probably not to the degree we'd like to see it. But hopefully we are experiencing this power. 
Jesus has promised to never leave us and he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to make us more like him. Before we were Christians, we were slaves to sin, as I said. We should all be able, as Christians, be able to say that actually, you know what, I'm definitely, I can see a change in my life. I can see there's, there's victory over the sin in my life now. Some of us, it, it might have been huge. Maybe you were an alcoholic before and now you're teetotal. Massive, big, big change, big, big victory over sin, as it were. Or maybe you were a violent person. Every, a drop of a hat. It didn't take anything for somebody to say before you want to you lick somebody down. But now you're the most peaceful, loving, kind. Where's Linda? The Lord's working on Linda. <laughs> Amen. As he's working on us all, sis. Where are you? She's, I'm not saying it. In a, she's here, isn't she? she? She's here somewhere. Okay, she can beat me up later. Um, but ch- at times the change is more subtle, isn't it? Maybe you're, you're somebody who... I'm not... I'm not, I'm not saying this is any, any less worse than being violent or whatever, but I'm just saying the changes can be more, more subtle. Maybe you're somebody who is addicted to gossip. You, like, you love chatting. You just can't help it. I mean, you can't help talking people's business. It just kind of runs off, off your lips. And you're experiencing, actually, power over that sin in that now, as you read the Scriptures, as you spend time with others, as the, as the Holy Spirit brings conviction on your heart, you're learning to actually pray for people in private, because you, you know you can do the public, the public pr- you're still doing the same thing, but you, you, you know, you, you, it's under the guise of prayer. So this is public prayer now, this is real transformation taking place. You are now privately bringing these issues before God, and even in that there can still be stuff, but the Lord, the Lord can deal with you. Um, so that you should, we should be able to see the, the, these changes taking place in our hearts, this victory over sin. So when we look around, we see... Um, Jesus, or should I say, Jesus doesn't seem to have all authority, does he? Matthew 28 says all authority has been given to him. But we look in the world and we see ISIS running rampant. We see the, the police running rampant in the States. We see, and I just really feel like it's just a corruption. We're, we're seeing the corruption of, of mankind, sin coming to the surface. Which actually is, it, it, once again, it means it's, a, it's, a, it's an ideal time for us as believers, for the church to come and say, actually, we, the solution is in Christ and Christ alone. The solution is the gospel. The church is the place where people should look and see that racial reconciliation having taken place. They should see people like Jesus. So it doesn't look like Jesus is in control, but he is. So we must remember that the kingdom is both now and not yet. We've said that many times, haven't we? That is, God is absolutely sovereign over everything right now. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and earth. We as Christians have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. That's a reality. doesn't seem like it sometimes. In, into the kingdom of light, to his kingdom. So we experience the benefits right now, but not in a complete sense. So I still, there's still the presence of sin. I mean, there's, there's times I'm like, Lord, can you just, I just, just love it. If we just, you know, I just don't want to sin anymore. That's coming. And it reminds me, think about Saul and David. So Saul was the, the king that the people asked for, people wanted. And, and they, got what, they got what they were asking for. You know, should be careful what you ask for. David, the Lord repla- replaces Saul. But David, Saul is still on the throne. But he's, he's actually been replaced because God is the one who establishes kings and, and removes kings. He's established David. So the reality is, as far as everyone else can see, Saul is on the throne. But the reality is, he's not the king. He's not God's chosen king. David is. But it's going to take a while for that to, be, to play out and for people to see that. So we need to remember that although it seems like the wicked are prospering, and it does, doesn't it, at times, 
that actually, as we heard about last week, they're not going to escape the judgment of God. Even if they escape the judgment on this earth, they're not going to escape God's judgment. That can bring us encouragement or it can terrify us depending on where we're at. God's kingdom. So in Matthew, Matthew 13, 43, it says, we, we will, believers, that is, those who are trusted in Christ, are going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's the future. So in the, in the meantime, we wrestle with sin. We've got to live in a world that's opposed to God and his rule and therefore opposed to us as believers. And that can be tough, can't it? So experience, and so we don't experience the fullness of God's reign yet, but it is coming. Matthew 24, 30, I think I've got that up there. It says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Remember when Jesus ascended, and the angel said, don't, don't worry, I don't want you standing, stop gazing, he's coming back. In the same way you saw him going, he's, he's, he's coming back. And power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of heaven to the, from one end of, the, of heaven to the other. Now, regardless of your views on on how Jesus is coming, when he's coming, we, we all can be sure he's coming back. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back for his people. So God's kingdom gives us peace, gives us purpose, gives us power over sin. There's also future and, and eternal benefits. Remember I said at the beginning that the story about Philippe Petit was similar but different? Well, it was similar in that Philippe made great sacrifices to have what he saw was, as valuable, didn't he? And so did the two men in the parables. They both made great sacrifices. They sold everything. But the difference is that the men in the parable didn't take a risk. He was stepping out onto a wire, taking a risk. But the men in this parable, and any who would follow after Christ are certainly not taking a risk. He did it for the thrill, maybe, or for art. Um, he had no guarantee of success. He actually, when he was asked why he did it, I think immediately there's some video footage of him being asked why he did it. He said, there is no why. When I see a beautiful place to put my wire, I have to do it. <laughs> Brother, you need, to, you need to be in Maudsley or something like that. Really? When I see a beautiful place to put my wire, I have to do it. So, risked his life for what? In the big picture, there was no eternal value to him walking on the wire. He is still going to go to hell without Christ unless he repents. Even though people for some time remember this great feat that he did. Ultimately, it was all for nothing. Whereas all who make sacrifices now for Jesus, all of us who put our faith in Christ, we're not stepping out onto this kind of thin wire. That you know, if we put our foot to the left or to the right, we're going to fall into the abyss. We step out into a firm foundation, and that's Christ. We can trust that actually, it's not a gamble to put your, trace, your trust and your faith in Christ. To become a Christian is not a gamble. It's the greatest decision by God's grace that you will ever make to follow after him. Benefits continue beyond this life and into eternity. Jim Elliot, Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He saw the value in the kingdom and the spreading of the gospel to the point where he joyfully gave up his life for it. What about you? What, what do you are you in a place where you're struggling to give up things, struggling to make this sacrifice for him? 
when you really weigh it up, you weigh up what Christ offers and whatever it is, whatever dream or whatever it is that you're chasing after, what that will provide for you, is there any comparison? When we stop and logically think about it, obviously we know there, know there isn't, but we can get caught up in a moment, can't we? We can forget and, and leave the Lord to one side and go after our own desires. Matthew 16, 24 to 26 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Ouch. And take up his cross and follow me. As we've said many times, you see somebody walking across, you know, that person is going to their death. Their, their life is over. In the sense that their life for them as their king, as their own king, living for themselves, that's over. They've now been bought with a price. But whoever would save his life will lose it. Trying to, trying to hold on to you being king, you being in control, where that's going to take you is hell. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We have the privilege of willingly choosing to do that now, don't we? To live for him now, to live lives that are set apart for him. And I'm sure I can get an amen from, from any who have been following Christ, although it, at times you can experience deep lows in a sense that just because of what life brings your way. So it, it can, can be uh, the death of a loved one or, or, or illness or just a, a frustration at just being your own sin in this world. But he's there with you in that and he carries you through that. And he continues to carry you through that. He's, you've got a, a real rock-solid place that you can go to for answers in his word. And it's not just like, oh, yeah, that sounds nice. It sounds airy. No, I, I, this is true. My eyes have been opened to the point where I've realized that this is true. And it's actually now food for me. Like this morning, I came in this morning. And, and Bertram sharing from Psalm 2 fed me. I was fed. I felt encouraged. God's word does that. There are lots of nice poems and nice words out there. They can't do that because there's no, there's, no, there's no real content. There's no, when you step out on it, there's, there's no solid ground. God's word, what a blessing that we have his word. Life in his kingdom is a life that is abundant both now and forever. It's a, it's a full life, isn't it? We need to be reminded it's a full life. I need to be reminded of it. Lord, I've forgotten this. It's a full life that won't leave you at the end full of regrets. The, my plan and my desire in my in my heart, I was, uh, was kind of hankering after, oh, Lord, just you know, an easy life. We'll sell the house. We'll go and live in the countryside. Things will be nice. We won't have any mortgage anymore. We won't have any bills. Stupid, of course we will. But, you know, you fool yourself into, into to thinking this. And we'll just kind of retire nice. Of course, Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll join a church and we'll still serve you. And for some people, that's, that's okay if that's what the Lord has for them. If that's not what the Lord is calling you to, then it's sin, isn't it? It's rebellion. It's my own will. It's my own way. And thank God that he allows nothing to come of it, no good to come of it when we do that. A career ultimately is not going to fulfill you. You're not going to find abundant life in a bottle or in drugs or in raving even. Amen? Even though we enjoyed the raving. We did enjoy the raving, didn't we? But where did it, what did it lead to? Memory's gone. I look back. Yeah, anyway, it's not, it's, it's not good. These things are ultimately not going to fulfill us. Maybe I just enjoy the raven. I don't know. <laughs> Amen. I've got a witness over there. So think about Solomon and even or the, the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes went looking for the meaning of life, didn't he? And at the end of it, 
fear God and keep his commands. Life is meaningless and worthless outside. Just under the sun, not being submitted to God, not living for God. It is meaningless. But in him, it's full of meaning and purpose. What do you consider to be more valuable than life with Jesus? Think about that for a minute. Immediately you say nothing. But is there lurking in your heart somewhere something that, or somebody that you consider actually to be more valuable? That if Jesus were to come now and say, look, the time is now, I'm taking you now. You'd be like, ah, oh, Lord, you know I love you. Come back for me in a week or come back for me in a year. I just want to see this thing come to fruition. Or are you like Paul, like, it's better for me to be with you, Lord. Whatever it is, it's not going to bring you lasting joy or eternal life. It's not going to bring you salvation or contentment. Whatever we allow to stop us from coming to, to Jesus is not worth it, is it, ultimately? Because he is of infinite value. I was speaking to somebody recently, um, uh, a young man, and I left the conversation really saddened because I, I, I was basically saying to him, like, where, are you, where are you at with the Lord and what's going on with you? Somebody who, who's, who, who, who knows the Bible, knows of God. And, and he said, I said, really, what's the issue? What's, 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 the, what's your, your struggle? And he said, it's just too big a sacrifice. To be a Christian, it's, it's, I, I kinda, I've got to give up too much. And I, I, I just was trying to say to him, wow, but, but don't you realize the sacrifice that you're, you're making is, is, is too, too big? Because what, what, what is it you're, sacrif- you're sacrificing life? You're walking away from life. Not just now, but for eternity. For what? And what is it you're grasping? Nothing. It's wind. It's, it's vapor. Whatever it is that you could say to me you're, you're going after is nothing. The value of the kingdom of heaven more than anything else is really to love the king, isn't it? That's really what, what we're saying. It, it's, it's, it's not just it's a great kingdom, but who is the king of this kingdom? It's Christ. It's to love him in order to do that. We need God's help. We need to be praying, Lord, would you open my eyes because I don't see you the way that I should. I don't, you are not a supreme pleasure. There are other things that, that are vying for that position. Lord, I need your help. I need your spirit to open my eyes. I need you to, as I read the scriptures, Lord, to to reveal to me, wow, Lord, look how amazing you are. Look what you've done for me. Teach me the gospel over and over again, reminding me of how I apply the gospel to my life in this area. What does the gospel mean to me here? What is it you've done for me? We're nearly there now, guys. We will love his rule because we understand that he is all that is good and right and perfect, that relationship with him really is the treasure. And that's the, the key, isn't it? I've mentioned this before and we'll keep coming back to this. Just that ultimately, what is it we're, we're really striving for is relationship with him. What is it Jesus has done? He's brought us back into relationship with the Father, therefore the Holy Spirit, therefore the Son. It's relationship with God that everybody needs. And this is what he has done for us and, he, and, and we're getting to, to benefit from that. He is the treasure. If, and if we don't see that, if we don't see that we're in danger of becoming religious or, or just going through the motions or stuff, or, or, or like look, when I see that he's the treasure, then, then all of a sudden, whatever else it is that I have to give up, is, doesn't, it doesn't even, it's not even, on, it's not even in my, in, on my radar because nothing compares to him. Nothing compares to the relationship. I mean, there are brothers in here who I have relationship with because of Christ. 
and I value the relationship. And yet at times they bless me with things or with stuff or they do things for me. Those things are great, but it's, I would not replace it for the person. It's the relationship that is the blessing. So as members of the global uh, and local church, we get to actively serve each other in this broken world, don't we, for all the king's pleasure. Our career choices will reflect God's ownership. Are they? Have you prayerfully considered your career choice? Have you included the Lord in that? He says that if we acknowledge him in all of our ways, then he will direct our paths. I take it if we don't do that, then there's a, there's a danger that we will be directing our own paths and fall into the mistake that I've made and veer off and bump and slip and crash. Our priorities will be to invest in God's kingdom through the study of his word and sharing it with, with others while praying that God would open the eyes of their heart. Are we making disciples? That's what we're to be about right now, isn't it? It's actually making disciples. Being disciples ourselves and making disciples. Really finishing now, honestly. Hopefully many of you are already uh, enjoying Jesus uh, as your supreme, supreme pleasure. And so hopefully this will serve as an encouragement. For others of, of you, you're invited to make him your supreme pleasure. To cry out to God. The, the offer of the gospel goes out to all, from all nations, all people. Come to him and he will give you rest. He will provide forgiveness of sins. Supreme value of God's kingdom. Let's pray. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.